Hi, welcome to another episode of the Scrumcast. I'm Derek Neighbors. And I'm Clayton Lengelzigich. And today we're going to talk about a couple of things. First, we're going to field a question. And the question is, um, is Agile just for teams or can it be used for solo workers also? Uh, so my experience with this is uh, I've done a lot of stuff, um, just, you know, personal projects, just goofing around basically on the weekends. And I try and, uh, you know, use some kind of scrum process. The thing I've noticed is that I, I feel like uh, at work, I'm a very disciplined person uh, and I, you know, have lots of discipline in that regard and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, when I try and do it by myself, I feel like either I have no discipline or I don't have enough. So in my experience, I'd say that if you're not a very disciplined person, it's difficult to make it work. Uh, but I think there are some benefits from it um, as far as, you know, I think everyone has a experience with a personal project that just languishes and goes on forever and you never finish it. So there's probably a lot to be said that uh, Scrum could help you out with in that regard. Uh, but I just don't feel like I have the discipline to do it myself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of agile techniques work um, fairly decent um, in a solo environment. A lot of the principles do, um, especially kind of it, iterate, you know, using iterative approach, um, time boxing, um, you know, the, kind of that continuous improvement. All, all of that stuff, I think, translates perfectly. I think when it gets a little bit more to some of the um, kind of estimating and um, doing some of the heavier parts of the methodology, it's much more difficult to be disciplined about that in a solo environment. Um, so, you know, I think that it's uh, feasible and it works, um, but you have to have a lot of discipline to do it. Um, and so then today, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about pairing. So, you know, Clayton is kind of a team lead. I think you do a lot of uh, uh, pairing on interviews um, here at Integrum. And, uh, you know, I think you get to see a lot of pairing. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, what do you think are some... Uh, traits that make somebody a good pair? Uh, so I think as far as, I mean, probably the most important one is um, just being engaged. And I think that's kind of a broad term, but that means, you know, the concept of, you know, being a good listener, um, you know, paying attention, uh, but kind of just being interested in not only what's going on, but also the, you know, when, when someone's driving or they're, they're solving a technical problem, um, it's easy for them to kind of get in that mindset. And so I think you have to be able to switch back and forth and switch modes. So if you're the person that's, you know, you're, you're not driving, you're the passenger, uh, you need to be able to keep focus on maybe some certain process things or um, the non-technical things. And then obviously if you're driving, um, being able to, you know, get into that mode and not worry about those things, let someone else take care of that for you. Uh, I think th that's kind of a, a big one for me. Um, you know, outside of that, I would say that being a good pair is, it's one of those things where I don't think there's a real good book answer for it. And um, <clears throat> if you were to try and do something by the book or write a list of here are good things to, that you can do to be a good pair, it'd be really hard to come up with that list. But it's more of a just a matter of, I think, good, good communication, good soft skills, those kind of things. Uh, I think that's, that's most of it. So what are some of the pitfalls that, you know, you, you get a pair with a lot of people who are new to pairing. Um, what are some of the things, uh, you know, I, when you see two people that maybe have never paired um, before and don't necessarily have good habits, um, what are some of the common things that you see where people fall down in pairing? Uh, so I think the, the driver-passenger role uh, <clears throat> is one that people don't do a very good job of. And so I think when people think of, especially people that are new, that say, okay, I'm a, you know, I'm a coder, I'm a programmer, and they have this idea of what that means to them. And when they're not driving, I think <clears throat> there's, you know, some people that fall in the subset of 
well, I'm going to micromanage every decision that you make while you're driving uh, because that's not how I would do it. And then there's some people that say, oh, sweet, you're doing all the work, so I'm going to kick back and check my email or whatever. Um, I think those are, even in the pairing interviews, um, I think we noticed that people, obviously, they're, they're there for an interview, and so they're trying very hard to be you know, polite and engaged and all those things. But you can definitely tell when, when they get the keyboard, it's like, you know, you, you mentioned something, oh, hey, what about this? And they can't even hear you. You know, I think just people don't have that. Uh, they're not listening, you know, when they're driving. Um, other than that, you know, pitfall-wise, I think people fall into, mo- you know, in categories, I think of, you know, just being being a bad driver, um, you know, not kind of just going down some rabbit hole, ignoring what the other person's saying. Uh, you know, I think the passenger plays an important role in, you know, guiding you, especially if they say, hey, this doesn't look like a, a good path to go down. Um, you know, bad drivers, you know, kind of just ignore that. And then I think the one that we see the most is probably um, <clears throat> bad passengers and people that just, I think body language is a huge thing. Uh, if you ever want to evaluate people that are pairing, just look at the driver and the passenger. Usually the driver is, you know, they're leaning forward because they're using the keyboard. And most of the time you'll find that uh, the, the bad pairs, the bad passengers are the ones that are <clears throat> leaning back. Um, they don't have their shoulders facing the workstation, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the people that are leaning forward kind of have the same body posture as the, um, as a driver. Those are the ones that are probably the most, you know, more engaged. So, um, in, in dealing with a lot of people that are, are new to pairing and kind of getting them up to speed, what are some things that you found have been, um, successful in getting people up to speed with the concept of pairing, um, you know, in, in a fairly short amount of time? Uh, so I think a brief overview of, you know, kind of the role of the driver and passenger. I think a lot of people view pairing as um, half the time I'm working, half the time I'm watching someone else work. And they don't understand what really they're supposed to do when they're not actually coding. So getting people to understand that I think is very important. Uh, after that, I would say that there's a bunch of games uh, that we've had some good experience with. Um, you know, ping pong pairing where one person writes a test, say a failing test, and then uh, the other person has to write the implementation for that to make the test pass. Uh, that's a great way for both people to be engaged and both feel like they're doing something. Uh, another one would be uh, switching off at you know predetermined intervals. So say you set a timer for 15 minutes, and you don't you know it's not this kind of thing where the timer runs out and the person that's driving says, "Okay, cool, give me another two minutes, I'll finish this up." It's literally 15 minutes is over and slide the keyboard and the mouse over, and the other person has to just pick right up. Uh, you can't. It's very obvious that you're not being effective when the first 15 minutes uh, bell goes off and the other person's like, uh, you know, what was happening? You know, they don't have any idea. So uh, I think that's a really good one to keep uh, both people engaged. I'm trying to think of some of the other games we played. Uh, one, of, one that's good actually for, I think a lot of people have a criticism of pairing is that um, they feel like, well, I'm really good at what I do and I'm a really good developer and I have to, I don't want to pair with people that aren't very good because it slows me down. And, you know, one thing that you can do to uh, to improve those people on your team that maybe are more junior or don't have your level of expertise, um, which you probably don't have anyway, but you think you do. But those people, uh, you know, to, to train them or help them out would be to do kind of like the distant um, distant passenger. So a lot of times I see that when people are in that situation pairing, the person that's the more senior person will be micromanaging and, and driving them, basically telling them, dictating what to type, you know, Oh, you should you should write this method, and you know you should return it this way, and you should use the ternary and blah blah blah. But if you talk at a higher level and say, you know, well, um, 
we want this model to be able to, you know, we want this uh, instance of this object to be able to respond to this method, and, and I want it to return a hash of these things. And you speak at a high level like that, and then you let the person go do the implementation, um, you know, whether or not you're doing TDD even, uh, but let the person do the implementation, and then maybe set aside some time at the end to do some kind of code review of like, okay, you know, I see how you did that, you solved the problem, uh, here's how I would have done it, have that discussion. I think that's very helpful when you have a mix of skill levels. So one of the things we see, you know, obviously operating on a gangplank is it's it's pretty noisy in here, and uh, we've got a lot of people pairing in kind of close proximity. And uh, one of the things that a lot of people ask me is, you know, how, how do the, how how can you how can your guys be um, developing in such kind of a, a loud or chaotic environment? So uh, maybe if you could explain a little bit about what it's like to um, pair program an environment where you've got lots of people pair programming in fairly co close proximity and, uh, you know, it, whether that uh, positively or negatively affects kind of productivity. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, so for example, um, recently uh, one of the guys on the team bought everyone little Nerf guns, right, shoot darts. And so for the past two weeks, it's been like every day people shooting darts. So you could be sitting there, you know, trying to solve some complex problem and darts whizzing over your head. And, you know, that's kind of just the nature of the environment. But I found that kind of a litmus test for me is if I feel like I'm distracted or I hear people talking about, oh, I can't get anything done today, I feel like that's not good pairing or there's a problem with their pairing because I notice that when, when I feel like I'm doing a good job and, and have an engaged pair and we're really, like, hammering things out, it's almost like all that stuff just doesn't matter anymore. Uh, it's really easy to block it out, um, probably more than people would think. And, and you'll notice that when people aren't pairing – I think a lot of times people will put on headphones and like try and get into the more traditional, you know, coder mentality of like, you know, I'm going to go in my own little world so I can't hear or see anything. Uh, don't bother me kind of thing. And, and, but when you're pairing, you know, you obviously can't do that, but when you're pairing, you don't really need to do that as much in my opinion. So what you're saying is you like to kind of look deeply into the eyes of your pair and kind of have some tantric pairing going on and nothing else in the world exists except for your pair? Right. No, it helps if you have a little mirror so you can kind of glance at each other's eyes every now and again. You put that above the monitor and you're, you're good to go. So I think that's uh, something to, uh, interesting. Hey, uh, you know, it's one of the things that uh, I've seen um, people talk about are some different pairing techniques um, in the way of physically setting up how you pairing, whether that be, you know, some face-to-face -face pairing, um, some... Uh, you know, potentially pairing without uh, an, even a laptop or a, a machine in front of you to kind of solve the problem and then go to actually, you know, pair to implement the problem. Have you tried any of those things and kind of, uh, you know, if so, uh, what are some of your thoughts on those? Uh, I tried the face-to-face the -face pairing at one point in time, uh, and that was quite a while ago, I'd say, uh, before I was, you know, I think I was just kind of trying things out. I don't know that I had made my mind up really on pairing yet. But I found that to be kind of distracting. You know, it seems like, the uh, you know the face to face stuff would be good and and maybe it just was the person I was pairing with but I found like it was just more convenient to be looking up and away from what we were doing and just doing a lot more kind of conversational talking uh, and so that was probably the downside to that you know other than that um, as far as different pairing you know configurations um, I think like one one technique that I had to do um, you know working with someone and this is easy to do when you're pairing. You know, people have a certain different d degrees of personal space and that kind of thing. And I had noticed that every time we sat down at the desk, this person would always kind of sit in the middle. And so it's like I found that towards the end of the day, I would be, you know, pushed over to the side. And we got to a point where we, we kind of drew some lines on the desk with some tape 
and we said, okay, here's our like kind of zone where we need to be. And if we drift out of the zone, then, you know, one of us is going to be uncomfortable because we can't see the screen or whatever. Uh, and so that brought us actually much, you know, closer physically together, uh, in that regard. And then we also made a rule that the keyboard had to be in a certain spot in the desk. And so that was kind of a, a way of balancing that stuff out. So we could say, you know, we're slightly off center from the desk and from the keyboard and the mouse and everything. Uh, but you know, we're still comfortable. And I, I think that cut a lot of problems out because we didn't realize how much time we were spending, like nudging each other left or right and repositioning yourself through the day. And once we kind of set that ground rule, it was easy to be able to just get going and keep going. So I think it's a good segue into, um, kind of the physical setup. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about how, what your optimal kind of pairing station is, um, is, you know, you know one keyboard, um, one mouse, two keyboards, two mice, you know, if you tried some different variations, you know, why I prefer one over the other, is it single screen, double screen, um, you know, preference one over another. Uh, so, you know, as far as the, the screens and workstation setup, um, I think personally, uh, you know, I think when I was, you know, maybe younger, I think there was this kind of dream of like, oh, I want to have like 10 screens in front of me, you know, and that seems so cool. And, and then, you know, as I've gained more experience, I think if I just had one, you know, like we use iMac. So the 27-inch iMac, that's got a big screen on it. And I think sometimes people load up that screen and, you know, our traditional setup is that screen and then a, a secondary monitor. And people load that stuff up with just tons of things. And I, I feel like it's just kind of distracting in one thing. But when I'm sitting on the left side of the station, I can, you know, I like big fonts and everything, but I have a hard time reading, you know, specific code or terminal, whatever, that's on the complete opposite side of the desk. Uh, And so in that regard, I would prefer to just probably have one monitor. Um, As far as the keyboard stuff, you know, I personally like two keyboards. um, And the reason I like that is because two keyboards, two mice, is I've noticed that when you've got someone who's pretty strong-willed and they want to go down their own path, um, and they're pairing with someone that maybe isn't, you know, maybe someone that's more willing to go along with that. Um, it's harder for that weaker willed person to grab the keyboard if they want to take control. But if they have their own keyboard, it's really easy just to press a key. And it's amazing how much you can screw somebody up by pressing a key or two keys. You know, so it's kind of a, you know, I don't think we're doing the right thing. No, 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 trust me, this is right. Let me keep doing. And, it, you know, you press command tab and switch to whatever the other application and bring it in focus. And then it's like, it, you know, it's a total, it's an easy way to have this like stopping point of, okay, put the brakes on, let's talk about this, uh, without having to physically grab the keyboard from somebody. <laughs> so uh, what you're saying is that dual keyboards prevent pair assaults. <laughs> yeah, there you go, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, one that I, I think a lot of people are probably asking at this point, remote pairing. And thoughts on th- thoughts on having to pair remotely? Uh, so I think every, you know, programmer that I've ever known has had this ideal that, you know, my job is totally over the internet, so... I could work super effectively at home. Um, We've tried that, I think, and, you know, when people are sick or people are away or whatever, it's really difficult, I think, unless you've got, um, even with, like, the screen sharing and remote control that, like, say, iChat gives you um, or, you know, remote desktop or whatever, that stuff's really difficult because, you know, you get a little bit of lag and you don't realize how much that affects the way that things look. You know, someone's scrolling a web page and you can't see things anymore or whatever, Uh, That's really distracting. And then I would say the good thing about it is that when you've got two people who potentially can control the mouse or the keyboard, um, having like a code order, you actually have to physically stop everything and say, you know, you know, mouse or whatever, so that you can get control because obviously two people remotely doing that isn't going to work. I would say that's nice, but overall, I think the the negatives outweigh the positives as far as remote pairing is concerned. 
So um, the last uh, kind of uh, question really is distractions. And I think that, um, you know, how do you deal with uh, distractions in two ways? Um, one one distraction would be, you know, somebody else on the team um, needs you for something. Um, instead of just interrupting one person, now they're interrupting an entire pair. Um, and if it, you know, takes a certain amount of time to kind of get back on task when you're interrupted and now you're affecting two people, um, what are some ways or some techniques to be able to minimize that? And then the second one is um, physical distractions in the terms of, um, uh, I'm going to say, near-term problems, Uh, you know, laptops, uh, smartphones, um, things that I think is a passive pair are really tempting to get into. What are some some kind of thoughts on mitigating that, those two things? Yeah, so I I would say that as far as... um you know, I'll start with that one first. I think as far as the passive stuff where you, you know, or, sorry, when people are distracted or tempted to look at their phone or the laptop or whatever, um, I think that's something that is up to the pair. And, I, you know, definitely you'll have situations where, especially if you have someone that's driving that doesn't really want to be pairing, when the other person whips out their phone, it's like, oh, you know, thank God I don't have to worry about this person anymore. Um, you know, if you're the kind of person that is, dist- you know, I personally, I think that's kind of disrespectful, you know, um, when you're pairing, you don't want the other person just goofing off because then you get into the mindset of, wow, pairing is really useless because I'm just doing all the work and this person's, you know, surfing the internet. Um, I think people try and make a lot of excuses about it where they say, well, I need my laptop so that I can do research or I need my phone so that, you know, I can check my email because I don't want to find anything, you know, I don't want to, uh, miss anything or whatever. And, and that's a real concern, but kind of segues into the idea of, uh, solving the first problem where, if you, I feel like the timers, you know, having some kind of consistent timer, um, that totally solves that problem. Because if, if you say, we're going to set a timer every 15 minutes and we're going to switch pairs. If someone walks over to you and says, hey, I have a question, you can reference the timer and say, well, I've got 10 minutes left. And usually uh, 15 minutes or less, there's nothing that's so important that it can't wait that much time. Uh, and then also you could say, you know, if you're worried about, say, missing an email from a client or something, uh, it's pretty easy to say, okay, we're going to work for every 15 minutes, and every 15 minutes I'm going to check. Um, you know, at most you're going to go 15 minutes without seeing it, which I think for most people is probably uh, acceptable. Um, so I'd say that the timer, having the timer, is really good, and that helps solve both problems. And we'll see you next time. Thanks.